Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Film Spotting SVU is presented by Movies on Demand on Cable, bringing the latest indie movies into your home at the touch of a button. Now playing on demand is The Diary of a Teenage Girl, a sharp, funny, and provocative account of one girl's sexual and artistic awakening without judgment. It stars Kristen Wiig, Alexander Skarsgård, and newcomer Belle Powley. Also playing on demand is Woodlawn, based on the true story of a gifted high school football player who must learn to embrace his talent as he battles racial tensions on and off the field. The latest independent films are ready when you are with Movies on Demand on Cable. The Art House is now in your house. From New York City, this is Film Spotting, streaming video unit. I'm Allison Wilmore. And I'm Matt Singer. Maybe you can tell them a bit about yourself, your interests, your background. Um, I, 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 I co-hosted this podcast with you for almost four years. You've been gone for a whole month? People forget, Matt. <laughs> they move on to other co-hosts. Maybe co-host without a fondness for doing voices. That sounds horrible. But uh, I am Matt Singer. I'm back from paternity leave, and I'm going to do whatever voices I want to do. So on this episode, we'll be discussing <laughs> troglodytes, vivisections, and the art of the unconventional Western as we take a look at S. Craig Zoller's Bone Tomahawk. And Matt's still easing back into the schedule, and I'm doing a lot of preparation for Sundance. So instead of the usual cue shots in which we usually recommend other streaming titles based on a theme related to our main review, I'll be talking about some of the most anticipated movies at the festival this year, and Matt will share what he's been watching while on paternity leave, and I'm sure we'll sneak some streaming recs into there as well. But first, it's opening break, a segment we do in conjunction with our sponsor, Movies On Demand on Cable, in which we spotlight a few notable films new on demand on cable. And Matt, you've got this this time. What are your picks? Huh? Oh, what? This is, this is not uh, going well. What? Sorry. A little tired. falling apart. No, hold on. Ah, okay. Here we go. Pull yes. it together. Yes. Pull it together. Yes. I'm awake. I'm conscious. Here we go. Uh, yes. Opening break. Uh, I've got some movies here to talk about. First up. Uh, is the film Free Held, directed by Peter Solid. It's available on VOD on January 19th, and it's based on a true story and a documentary about a police officer named Laurel Hester from Ocean County, New Jersey, not far from where I grew up, actually, Allison, who is stricken with terminal cancer and then has to fight to ensure that her domestic partner, played by Ellen Page, can receive her pension benefits the same way any other spouse would if their husband or wife got sick. Uh, every year... There are dozens of wannabe Oscar contenders, awards bait, call them whatever you'd like. This one certainly, I think, fell into that category. It premiered at the Toronto Film Festival, which is where I saw it. 
And it generally got pretty mixed reviews, I would say. Um, I would not call this movie a masterpiece, but I, I do think I, I liked it more than most people, it seemed. And I found some of the sequences featuring Julianne Moore fighting for her rights very, very powerful. I thought Ellen Page is very good as well, and so is Michael Shannon, who I know we're both big fans of. He plays Julianne Moore's no-nonsense partner from the Ocean County Police Department. Uh, I wouldn't say he's a super liberal, free-thinking guy, but he really admires and likes his partner. And when he finds out that she's gay and that, then later that she's really sick, he sort of becomes one of her biggest champions and supporters. And it's in some ways it's an unusual role for Michael Shannon, but it also lets him kind of be very Michael Shannon-y. So I would say if you enjoy him sort of doing what he does, you will probably get a big kick out of him in this movie. He kind of steals a movie. Like oh, he does. I don't, yeah, I don't think there's any question. Like that. he does most movies. Yes, absolutely. Hello? It's Stacy from Volleyball. Listen, I can't talk right now. Hey, go right ahead. Just your run-of-the-mill double homicide investigation. Shut up. Can I call you later? You got a date? Yeah, I do. If you could have anything, what would it be? What's your dream? A house, a dog, a woman I love, loves me. Mm, me too. Give me a second here. This domestic partnership thing is new. The idea of you as a kept woman. <laughs> What's the matter? Hello, I think you pulled a muscle. Are you here to check out? Yeah. My name is Detective Laurel Hester. I've worked for the Ocean County Police Department for 23 years. Recently, I was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. When my heterosexual colleagues die, their pensions go to their spouses. But because my partner is a woman, I don't get to do that. In my career, I've never asked for special treatment. I'm only asking for equality. We anguish over this situation, but we have to deny your request. So to me, the big like weak link in this movie was Steve Carell. Uh, I don't know if you felt this way. Uh, he, he plays this gay rights advocate. Frankly, I thought it was kind of a stereotype how he played him. Very big and broad. And I actually, after the movie, even looked up the real person he's based on, who didn't seem anything like the guy that Steve Carell played. Though that guy has defended Steve Carell very really? vocally and yes said like you know he thought he did a great job or just being like this guy is playing me and this is what I'm like wow yeah, okay well so. uh, you know that's duly noted I still didn't like him in the movie uh he I, I felt like he was in a very different movie than everybody else which was definitely more at a kind of a lower uh more realistic-ish uh register I would say but again everybody else I thought uh was great particularly Michael Shannon and you know I think the world, to some extent, got it right. This was not an Oscar contender. It shouldn't have been up for awards. But that doesn't mean it's it's not a, a satisfying melodrama. You know, not a subtle film. But I think what I wrote in my review when, when it came out was that, you know, when a movie is about someone who is fighting for their spouse's right to their financial future as she slowly dies of lung cancer, maybe the subtlety isn't the right note to hit with that kind of story anyway. So that is free held. It is available on VOD starting on January 19th. Two more quick picks for you here. The first up is the latest Woody Allen movie slash hot potato. It's called Irrational Man, and it's available now on VOD. It stars Joaquin Phoenix as, and I'm reading this from the plot description, a tormented philosophy professor who finds a will to live when he commits an existential act. It also stars Emma Stone, who BuzzFeed film critic Alison Wilmore said, quote, deserves better than Woody Allen's new movie. Whoops. It's true. Uh, there was a time for me personally where even not that long ago where every new Woody Allen movie was still an event, even the crappy ones. I saw every single one in the theater, but I have to admit at this point, the sheer number of these middling, mild movies has really broken me down, and I, I don't see all of them anymore. But 
I still try to catch them when I can, and I, I do find that some of them actually do play better at home than they do in the theater because they're not really visual, dynamic visual entertainments. And so I am, despite what BuzzFeed film critic Alison Wilmore says, I am still looking forward to checking this one out, particularly because it has probably my favorite working actor right now, Joaquin Phoenix. And I am curious, maybe morbidly curious, to see what those two gentlemen do together. So that's Irrational Man, available now on VOD. And finally, a movie that I cannot be more excited for, The Condemned Two. Directed by Roll Ryan. Uh, this is the sequel to the 2007 Fight to the Death movie starring WWE superstar Stone Cold Steve Austin. This straight-to-VOD sequel stars a different WWE wrestler, <laughs> Randy Orton. He is like the go-to guy now to uh, replace bigger stars in these lesser straight-to-DVD, straight-to-VOD sequels. It's a rough career, but someone's got to do it. Someone's got to do it. He previously replaced John Cena, who's now an even bigger star, ironically playing lo- smaller roles. And doing comedy. And doing comedy, right. A few years ago, he was doing a bunch of these action movies, and he did one called 12 Rounds. I don't even remember 12 Rounds. I remember. So Randy Orton was in 12 Rounds 2, colon, Reloaded. So The Condemned 2 also stars Eric Roberts of course, and Wes Studi. And according to Wikipedia, it is about a former bounty hunter who finds himself on the run as part of a revamped condemned tournament. Because again, it's about fighting to the death and, you know, battle royale, all that kind of thing, in which convicts are forced to fight each other to the death as part of a game that's broadcast to the public. A very original idea that I've never seen in any other movies. <laughs> Allison, I will pay, I, 50 bucks says this movie is at least 30% better than The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2. I'm not going to go to the mat for that movie. Damn right you're not. See? No one's going to take that bet. And again, I know this is a D, uh, a D to V action movie, as some sometimes they are called. But actually, Roll Reina, if I'm pronouncing his name right, and I'm probably not, one of the better people making these kinds of movies these days. He actually has some some fans. I've read a few... You know, he gets thrown in with those vulgar auteurists sometimes, mm-hmm. Allison. He's one of the vulgar auteurs. So vulgar, these these modern filmmakers who are doing these disreputable genre movies. So uh, w- w- am I going to see it before Irrational Man? Probably not. But would I watch The Condemned 2? You bet you're sweet behind I would. That's The Condemned 2 starring Randy Orton, <laughs> available on VOD now. Are any of you somnambulous? That's private. Me and sleepwalk. Oh, no, I don't. <sighs> Me neither. No. Sleep with your guns nearby, and you shoot anything that rings a bell. Could be an innocent animal, somebody lost. Our horses are hobbled. <laughs> Any animal that comes at us is a predator. Any person that approaches a camp in the dark without identifying themselves is a criminal or a savage. You hear it jingle, point your gun and shoot. I'll probably beat you to the draw, but... Don't count on me to save you. Let it go. I can't. Hey. Hey! Well, you watch how you speak to the law. Sheriff especially. You aren't captain. No. I'm the most intelligent man here, and I intend to keep us alive. Oh, you're the most intelligent man here. Is that a fact? It is. Sheriff Hunt has a wife. So does Mr. O'Dwyer. And you're a widower. Yeah. What has that got to do with anything? Smart men don't get married. 
On each episode of Film Spotting SVU, at least each normal episode, we give you the chance to pick our main review by voting on one of three options. And this time around, we gave you three recent-ish movies. 2015 Western Bone Tomahawk, which is now available on Amazon Prime. The Indian crime saga Gangs of Wasipur, which premiered at the Director's Fortnight at Cannes in 2012 as a 319 minute movie that's like five plus hours was released in theaters in two parts and Netflix is now streaming it cut into eight episodes of around 45 minutes each but it's the same movie it's just basically been cut up into different chunks and the third option was Mississippi Grind the 2015 gambling road movie starring Ben Mendelsohn and Ryan Reynolds which is currently on Amazon Prime as well and Bone Tomahawk came out far ahead with over 50% of the vote. Uh, Bone Tomahawk is the directorial debut of S. Craig Zoller, who is also a novelist and a member of the heavy metal band Realm Builder. <laughs> That's a good name for know, a metal band. Right? Story-wise, it's like loosely inspired by the searchers, I would say. People are kidnapped from a town in the West by natives. In this case, a group of Neanderthal-esque cannibals, the characters refer to as troglodytes, a party led by Sheriff Franklin Hunt, played by Kurt Russell, and including Arthur O'Dwyer, the husband of one of the captives, played by Patrick Wilson, sets out to get them back. And this movie could be described as a horror western. It has cannibals out in the, in the, in the dark. Um, though one of the distinctive things about it is the way in which it melds genres. For a long stretch, it's just four men traveling through the wilderness and having some very entertaining exchanges before they finally encounter the troglodytes who proceed to introduce a seriously grotesque moment of violence to the movie. Like one of the year's most striking, seared into your brain moments of violence. So Matt, what did you think of this movie's combination of comedy and Western and horror? Did it work for you? And also, how great was Richard Jenkins as the town's backup deputy, Chickory? <laughs> Richard Jenkins is pretty great. I would say the whole cast is pretty great, though. I think that's one of the real strengths of the movie. In terms of how well everything fits together, now, I, I do want to say, first of all, you know, all fake snoring on the podcast aside, I am a little sleep-deprived, and I did have to watch this movie in two chunks, um, just the way that uh, a schedule with a very young baby was. That was the only, you know, that was the only way I could get through it, so... Take everything I say with a grain of salt, and that doesn't mean I didn't like the movie, which I did, but just just uh, at least acknowledge that and know that everything I'm saying is about that. And if I miss any small details, that's probably why. In terms of the way everything fit together, I, I would say it fits together pretty well. Um, and I, 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 I liked the, the sort of left turn that the movie takes. Now, you mentioned that moment of violence, which is so horrifying and graphic. I don't know that I needed the movie to go all the way there. I don't. I think I feel like I sort of got it without needing that much. Um, I guess you have to sort of respect the um, the sort of purity of introducing these absolutely monstrous creatures and then really showing them for what they are. Although we can probably discuss if there's anything sort of problematic about those characters as well. That's something to talk about. It's funny. I didn't know anything about S. Craig Zoller. I didn't, and I didn't have time to really do any research. So listening to you describe that he's a, uh, also um, spends time in a metal band, there's something kind of metal about th that last act of the movie. Um, and it, it, it right down to the sort of like, the like metalness of like the guys having like literally like tomahawks made out of bones. Like there's something and instruments embedded in their throats. That's right. Yes, that's true too. Yeah. So yeah, I guess it makes the more you hear about this guy, the more it makes sense. I will say 
uh, that I enjoyed the movie more as a piece of sort of writing and also performing the actors and stuff more than I did necessarily the, di- the direction. Like if you asked me, does S. Craig Zoller have, a, have a, a future as a director? I would say possibly. I think that it's competently made. I don't think that there's anything really like um, bad about the way it's directed. I just think that the real strengths of this movie are the script and the performances. And it, it, that's part of directing too, is getting these good performances out of these actors. And I give him all the credit in the world for that. I just think... Uh, Visually, it didn't really strike me all that much, and you almost wonder, like, I, I didn't know he was a novelist. I'd be very interested to read his novels now, but I almost wonder, like, what would, would this be better almost as a novel, other than the fact that the actors are really good in it? Yeah, I, I think I'm on about the same page. I, you know, the dialogue is such a pleasure in this. Fantastic. The, just the, the, the deep enjoyment that he has in, in these exchanges and, also, and the ways in which the actors really savor them and lean into them. Yeah, they know they've got something they, good here. Yeah, it's not, it reminded me of Deadwood. Not, it had mm. none of the profanity, the kind of like, you know, broke profanity of Deadwood, but it had some of the almost like, the savoring of these lines, yeah. even though I, I think can they're see very that. different. Yeah. You know, from even just like tossed off lines, like, uh, Matthew Fox, like one of the best roles I think he's, he's ever had. Really good. Uh, says, observes at one point when someone rides up, that is not a handsome horse. And it's just like, <laughs> it's just such a funny line. Very deadpan, very yeah, dry. I think at one point or someone says, you've been squirting lemon juice in my eye since I came in here, which is such a funny way to describe someone like eyeing you and giving you a hard time. Mm-hmm. Um, it It is really, I the the kind of, the scenes in which people just have these exchanges and the ways in which they're allowed to breathe and the actors right. are allowed to just kind of, yeah, like act and dig into these characters is really it's such a joy in this movie. I yeah. found it a lot more interesting than the turn it took towards the horror at the end, which right. I, I don't think is badly done. And I mean, it, you know, you met the scene of violence that we're talking about in which a character is vivisected in like just a strikingly more realistic than maybe you'd ever needed to see way and 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 graphic Graphic. and long the scene is pretty long it goes on for a while yeah i mean it very deliberately i think kind of almost like tears a hole in the movie because it's it's almost literally like a break yeah it's such a different tone than what's been coming before which has been like for all the seriousness of this mission like very on the verge of comedy a lot of the times yes but i i mean i didn't find it as interesting as the horror movie it eventually, or kind of action movie that eventually becomes. Right. Uh, I, I mean, no, part of it, I think, because of the direction. In a way, yeah. Right, yeah. And I think, in a way, it's almost, you could almost look at this as a compliment, though, because I feel the same way. And it's like, it is hard to make four guys sitting around talking that entertaining and interesting where when something actually happens you go mm, this is fine but i actually was yeah. enjoying it more when can they we were go just back to the guys can we yeah. just go back to them like making camping and and cooking and, and bickering and bickering yeah. right and i think it's a credit to to s craig zoller's you know skill with dialogue it really is great it's not how people really talk or whatever but it's it's, it's sort of the way we would all want to talk i think if we were in the old west we wished we wish we would have this sort of wit and and repartee and have that ability to put somebody you know to deliver the the perfect put down at just the right moment and yeah it's it's really fun to just be along for the ride with these guys and that when they do introduce that horrific violence and it's i agree it's pretty well done and 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 those moments that are very graphic like it's it's horrifying like it's it it's authentic in a way that's very disturbing it's it's it just you know it doesn't uh, it doesn't deliver the same pleasure as as seeing Kurt Russell and and Richard Jenkins just kind of 
bickering right. like an almost like an old married couple like at talking times. talking in the dark or yeah. just like when he Richard Jenkins's character can't sleep. Yeah. Yeah. I I I I think in a way it's almost a the film is almost a victim of its own success in some ways because he, the the just the hanging out is so great that you don't want anything bad to happen to the characters first of all and then you're just not that interested in kind of you know I, I don't want to say typical because there's not a lot of movies where troglodytes rip people apart but just like standard you know like slasher kind of fair in a western setting which is a little different i suppose right but and even that's been done before exactly and i think you know this has been 2015 the the year that just ended has been a great year for westerns for big westerns uh some of which have been really talked about the revenant and hateful eights or there's some like slow west and this movie oh yeah that slow been west very kind of like been, had like these dry senses of humor and these very kind of unusual approaches to the West. Mm. And I maybe, I, I mean, in some ways when it falls into that last part where it becomes more action, it also seems almost more conventional to me in terms of being a movie about like the terrors that lurk out in the wilderness. That's a good point too. You know, that yeah. it's, it's, I mean, I, this movie before then doesn't really seem to go out of its way to do much of the usual, what we might expect of like the Western genre in terms of themes. Right. It is just about a town and these yeah. guys who live in it. And even though it's not necessarily subversive, I was kind of waiting for some sort of twist, let's say, because it, the movie does have such a, you know, such a good head on its shoulders. It's smart. It's funny. And you don't, ex you don't want a movie like this to just sort of become, you know, the, the quote-unquote good white people versus the quote-unquote bad Indians or Native Americans or whatever. And so I was kind of hoping that they would find some sort of twist where, who knows, uh, you know, like evil white bank robbers are pretending to be Native Americans <laughs> or whatever right. it is. And, and they sort of have this workaround where they make it very clear that these are not Native Americans in the traditional sense, right? That these are like – they're more like cave people or something, right? right? But that's really – I don't, I don't know if that's real... really a, a good – it's more of an excuse than a justification. Right. I, I thought a lot about uh, The Burrowers while watching this. Right. J.T. Petty's yep. – more much more a horror movie uh, yeah. about that follows the same pattern mm -hmm. except in that case the the monsters are monsters they're right. actual like, like alien like yeah, creature some kind things. of monsters out yeah. in the woods. and i think that that dealt a little better with the problem that bone tomahawk is clearly aware of in the searcher's model and yeah. doesn't quite escape, know what to do with which yeah. is that like this is the story is about going and retrieving civilized people back from those savages. And in this case, certainly they're terrible. Like they're, right. they're not people that you want to side with. These are cannibals, free right. speech cannibals who like apparently uh, blind all of their women and use them as like brood for brooding. Yes, like, yes. Uh, but it doesn't really kind of deal with the inherent, issue of like what of what the, the no, initial story was about not at all and it, they pretty much just say well it, it's basically like well they're not you know they're not indians they're not natives because they're these other these other creatures right and so then it's that's okay and so it's okay so to it's okay that slaughter like them and, right exactly like, and to treat them that uh, yeah, way yeah, and it just seems less languageless people yeah yeah it, i don't know that that necessarily worked for me and maybe that's another reason why that second part is it feels less uh, successful right well because especially the movie is so does is so good at kind of rounding out its characters without ever being like 
here's the other side of John Bruder. Like mm. it, you know, slowly builds him up as a character who is this, uh, you know, kind of arrogant, uh, ladies, man, this slash, is the Matthew Fox, this character. Is Matthew Fox character slash, uh, you know, well-known killer of, of natives. Right. And, and, and none of the other guys like him. And it slowly builds him up as someone that you like, yeah. you know, and that they come to respect. And, and also, he's, and there's even a point where he, where someone brings up, th- thinks he's bragging about how many Native Americans he's killed. And he's like, it's not a brag. It's just a statement. And even just that moment is like a nice one where you go, okay, well, this isn't just about, uh, you know, it's not the same as The Searchers. We're in a different world. It may be set in that world, but ours is a different world. And it's being written by someone who acknowledges that. But then uh, I don't know if the ending really lives up to that sort of uh, sentiment. Yeah, yeah. I I mean it's funny like watching this, and I feel like this is something I hate saying about movies because it's a movie. But I was like, I could watch a TV show. About, you know, you would you would have preferred like the de- the actual dead the actual here. Deadwood or something, yeah. or just I mean not because. I, more because I liked spending time with these characters. Right. So and much, again, it's about know? the world. It's, it's about the characters. Right. It's he about the dialogue. Up, he, it's not really about the bone tomahawks. Exactly. Like he presents this world and it feels so vivid. Yeah. And it feels so lived in. And I, I think that maybe that's why also when they finally embark on like the plot unfolds, you know, yeah. like and, and like the mechanics of it keep grinding. And you're like, I care less about that story. Like yeah, the story and yeah, and getting these people back, in particularly this one woman, the wife of the Patrick Wilson character, who gives another really good performance. And right. you know who else gave a good performance in this movie? Well, he's not in that much of it. David Arquette. Yes. I like David Arquette in this movie. And I was like, David Arquette can be good in the right role. You got to use him right. And then right. I, I give – and Matthew Fox, too, is a guy who's a talented guy, but we've seen in some crummy movies doing oh, yeah. terrible things. And so it's clear that, you know, that uh, he's a good actor, but he needs to be guided. And so give S. Craig Zoller that much credit that he he did guide him to this really good performance as well. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, when they're the other thing I thought about when they were on this sort of the journey trying to rescue that the, the, the wife of Patrick Wilson's character is that, you know, that journey, that's where, like, the visual side of the movie is most lacking, I felt like. Because – and this may just be a function of budget – and time as it is about um, the director's vision, quote unquote. But just you, you don't really get the sense that they're actually on a journey, that they're traveling. You know, it looks like they maybe shot it in the same like canyon from yes. different angles. I know there was one scene where they like late, you know, there's a sequence where they like there's a they're, they're a campfire. They're, you know, they've bedded down for the night or whatever. And then a few scenes later, there's another scene where they're at another camp and laying down another time. And it looks like they literally shot it in the exact same canyon. Now, maybe that's a, some sort of commentary on the desolation and the, and the, the sort of, uh, bo- you know, just the, the, the lack of civilization out in this area. But you don't really believe that these guys have traveled hundreds of miles or whatever it is to try to save this woman. It looks like they're kind of just walking around in circles uh, to, you know, just because that's maybe all, the only area they had to shoot in or they could only afford to shoot in. And that's where I felt like the visual side of it was particularly lacking. Yeah. There's one scene where, where uh, Richard Jenkins character, Chicory says something to the effect of like, I know the world's supposed to be round, but I don't think this part is right. And then it cuts to a wider shot of them, riding on this very flat terrain but what you really want was like a really wide shot you know that showed them as like dots on this totally yeah you never really get that and you sometimes you kind of got the the sense that like like just like 200 feet to the right of them was like a highway or something and maybe that's why you you were saying you know you wouldn't mind a tv show version of this it just it, it does it doesn't have the scope of a great like 
you know, you mentioned The Searchers, and certainly it's inspired by it. It doesn't have the visual sweep of The Searchers. You know, it doesn't have that John Ford epic vista. You know, I think the dialogue is just as good as anything in one of those old movies, or maybe better, but it just doesn't have that, the feeling of of, of the expanse of the West. That you're not going to find here. I, I, I don't know that I need to see Bone Tomahawk, the series, but if you said to me that, uh, S. Craig Zoller signed a deal with Amazon to make a, a Western TV series, right. I would be excited as hell. I would or, think that's great yeah. news. Or any TV series, frankly. I True. feel like yeah, this no, that's, establishes that's him as a very good writer of dialogue. Absolutely. But agreed, I think, you know, especially in a year where there have been these two kind of big year-end Westerns that have been famous for their photography and for their sweep and uh, something like this that doesn't set out to be another Panavision, the ultra Panavision movie, right. but it just feels very kind of dinky visually. There, there's something to be said for a Western that really embraces the B-movie roots of the Western. I'll give it that much credit, but you're right. It definitely, maybe maybe part of the problem it suffers from is that it is coming out so close to these other movies that are huge $100 million Westerns and that look like it, even though The Hateful Eight has a lot of it is shot indoors. Those scenes that are outside are so beautiful. And I have to say, inside the scenes, the hateful, you can see that uh, Quentin Tarantino is a, is a better director and the way he uses faces and angles and, and, and focus, and, focus and, yeah. And, and, and yeah, and, and the placement of actors in the scenes. Uh, yeah, that, that's hard to, to compare. Where would you rank Bone Tomahawk with, with, uh, with uh, Hateful Eight and, and The Revenant? I would say Hateful Eight, Bone Tomahawk, The Revenant. I agree. Yes. Even though The Revenant is... Uh, um, you know, a more beautiful movie, unquestionably. It's one of the most beautifully, like, uh, shot movies of the year. Uh, no question. It's gorgeous. It's a stunning visual achievement. I was so bored by that movie. I just think that movie is a pile of crap. <laughs> I don't know if I would go that far, but I, I certainly was was left very flat by this movie and found a lot more uh, to enjoy. Now, if we could get... Emmanuel Lebeski to shoot the next S. Craig Zoller <laughs> Western. I would, we might have something oh, there. Yeah, if we could get a movie that. that looked as good as The Revenant and sounded as good as Bone Tomahawk, that would be a, a, a crackerjack combination. I would be all for that. <laughs> um, all right. Well, that is Bone Tomahawk, and it is currently streaming on Amazon Prime. <laughs> father now for almost a month yes a month tomorrow congratulations thank you uh now fatherhood has obviously been very time consuming yes new babies like that just fresh ones like god that. they're so needy they're, i'm like yeah. i have to watch bone tomahawk baby stop <laughs> crying don't you understand kurt russell is in this nothing nothing has no interest well, like is this your daughter even like 
I can't understand why Kurt Russell, the mere mention, wouldn't have her be like, oh, okay. okay. I will say, sometimes I'm sitting there, you know, feeding her at four in the morning, watching Seinfeld. I've been, I've, I've been watching Seinfeld for, back from the beginning just to kill time when she's uh-huh. sleeping in my arms or whatever. I'm up to season four already. And uh, one, just in the last couple of days, I've noticed her kind of looking more at the television. And I'm like, okay, that's George. This is called <laughs> The Contest. This is the best episode. It's a crucial one for you to understand. She seems to be getting it, I think. Well, but it's good. a process. It's you know, a process. You've got a, you've got, she's got a lot. To We've got time. Me. We've yeah, got time. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so what are some of the other things you have been watching <laughs> in this delirious period of sleep-deprived new parenting? Yeah, you do have – it's, it's a mixed bag because you do have a ton, some time to sit and watch things. Um, but some, you know, you have to break it up sometimes because suddenly the, you know, the baby will wake up or, you know, or you're doing, watching the whole movie while rocking a baby. And so you're, you know, and you're a little, you're a little distracted, but I have watched a bunch of stuff and really almost all of it has been on streaming. So these are all things people at home can watch. So the first thing I wanted to recommend was a documentary. Uh, it's called An Honest Liar. It's available on Netflix. Have you seen this one, Allison? I have seen this one. I, I thought this was a really smart documentary. It's about this guy who I'd never heard of. Uh, called His name is James Randi. And he is a, a magician and escape artist. He is he w- sort of originally wanted to be Houdini growing up, and then kind of transitioned from being a magician to a guy who sort of uses magic to debunk um, people who claim to be authentic psychics or have uh, supernatural powers of the mind or telepathy, telekinesis. Yuri and Geller. Yuri Geller is a, is a big one. In the movie, we see how um, when that guy kind of came on the scene and claimed that he could bend spoons with his mind and use telepathy to figure out things and was not only tricking, you know, rubes like you or I, he was going to uh, academic institutions who were in, you know, that they were trying to do academic studies of the possibility of, I don't know, psychokinesis and different things and, and convincing them that he could really do these things. They believed him. Uh, you know, this guy would come along and say, you know, Randy would come along and say, actually, I can do that exactly what he's doing with simple stage magic. And he wasn't necessarily saying that these people were frauds, just that uh, what they're doing is essentially no different than what uh, David Copperfield does. They're just, he, as he, as the title says, he's an honest liar, right? He, t- that's what he really objects to is people who claim that they're not tricking you, that they are actually authentically, uh, supernaturally gifted. Whereas, you know, he has no problem with magic. He loves magic, but the whole point is that a magician tells you to their to your face that they're going to trick you. So that's that's who the subject is, but then the sort of I don't want to spoil the twist in the movie, but there is actually a pretty significant surprise that comes about 2 thirds of the way through um about Randy's life that really kind of recontextualizes a lot of what's come before. Um, and it's almost a double twist, actually, because there's one thing you find out about his life, and then there's a second thing you find out that uh, is about. I don't want to. I don't even want to say. But there's it. There, you know, I, I, the, the filmmakers Justin uh, Weinstein and Tyler Meesum, they kind of they 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 knew they had a good subject to begin with, but then they really I think lucked into some really interesting developments in this guy's life happening before their cameras. And uh, I, this was one that just was you know when you sign into Netflix. Netflix says recommended for you. And for some reason that was at the top of that page for me for a long time. So, um, you know, I watched a bunch of documentaries while I was sitting holding the baby. And this was, I think my favorite one. Uh, I certainly would recommend it. I don't think you have to necessarily be a a magic fan to appreciate it. I think there's, there's enough going on here where, 
I think you you can uh, get a lot out of it. Did you enjoy it? I did, and I I had known who he was a bit okay. before this, and you'd as, been to Yuri Geller seminars I and had. bought his books and I his was, crystals, right. and I was like, oh damn that guy! <laughs> Stop ruining Yuri Geller for me." Um, but you know, I I had like known him. Now, as did you know the skeptic. the twists? I had not at all. Okay. Like I knew nothing about his personal his life. personal and life. And I think right. that, that the ways in which that is tied into this larger theme. Right. Of debunking and debunking and, and the lying honest liar, and the honesty. I, yeah. I thought was very elegantly done. It's almost too perfect. It, it is, really is. Yeah. But it, but it, I mean, I, I'm certainly not accusing the filmmakers of anything. I, like I said, I just think they got lucky with a great story. So that's an honest liar and it's available on Netflix. The next movie I watched, actually the next two movies I watched, I did not like, but they were, they were watched for a specific purpose, which was that, um, you know, I'm a I'm a fan of the the Flophouse podcast that uh, is, you know, they watch bad movies and uh, talk about them. It's a really fun podcast if you've never listened to it. I think we've mentioned it on the show before. And sometimes I don't watch the movies they discuss, but I figured because I did have time on my hands, I would try to watch a couple of the movies that they've done recently so that when I listen to their show, I would be able to follow along a little more closely and understand what they were talking about. And the first movie, which I believe is streaming right now on Amazon Prime, is a film entitled Men, Women, and Children. Ooh. And this, well, and I should say also here that I felt as a father, a new father for the first time, I needed to know the world that I was bringing my daughter into, Allison, <laughs> because this is a scary new world of computers and internet and technology and pornography and... Um, Inspiration. Yes, exactly. I needed to know all of these things. And I thought, who better to tell me them than Jason Reitman, one of the foremost purveyors of uh, technology pessimism, I think, that the, the, the cinema has ever seen. And uh, I knew, obviously, the reputation of this film. I somehow missed it <laughs> or avoided it when it came out in, in 2014. And uh, I have to say, I would have liked nothing more than to have been pleasantly surprised here and been able to say, guys, you missed the boat on this one. This is a fabulous movie. But no, the boat was not missed uh, the boat was caught uh, correctly and accurately. This is a this is a terrible, terrible film. Um, it is one of the worst movies I've seen in a very long time, and partly because it's not even like an enjoyable bad movie. It is just a sour, miserable screed, and it feels very out of date. Very out of date. Very it feels like the work. One. Yeah, it feels like the work of of a, like like my grandfather would have made this movie. You know. Um, because he didn't really like technology, you know, and it, it feels like the work of an old person who the world has passed by and is shaking his fist, you know, like the the, uh, the Abe Simpson headline, you know, and uh, Jason Reitman's a young man. He's a couple years older than us. It, it, it It's shocking to me that a guy and who's made some smart hip movies, too. Uh, I don't dislike Jason Reitman. I'm not, you know, I don't, I dislike this movie, but I don't think he's a bad filmmaker necessarily. He's capable of much better than this. I don't know what went wrong here. Something, something went very, very wrong. I will say one thing. When the two characters both went online to, two of the characters in this multi-character movie, uh, went online. To cheat, to on, cheat one on, another. on one another. Were you expecting an escape the Pina Colada song Yes, moment? I was actually. I was so hoping yes. for it. I was like, God, let it. Yeah, one of those characters is the Adam Sandler character who... I don't even know if Adam Sandler was aware he was being filmed. He just seems so disinterested. And even when his wife is cheating on him, he he's looks like, you know, like his his coffee, his cup of coffee went cold. That's like the level of 
frustration and misery he he suggests right we talked uh you know amy nicholson was our guest on the last on the last episode of this podcast and we talked about adam sandler's netflix movie another of this year's or this past year ridiculous six yes which i saw as well and which is horrible which is horrible but we we talked about that like adam sandler no very few people who continue to make movies when not financially motivated have ever looked so bored right by the process of making movies yeah exactly and in fairness to adam sandler though it's not like he's the weak link in the chain I, I the collection of talented people doing bad work in this movie is unprecedented jennifer garner an actress i like a lot and it's funny when i i wrote something about this movie online someone was like people like jennifer garner it's like i like jennifer garner i think yeah. she's wonderful uh alias one of my favorite shows she's great in it yeah she is she is horrible in this movie though, is like oh yeah no ridiculous yeah she plays a mother who is obsessively controlling of her daughter's internet habits and literally, this is a mild spoiler, I suppose, literally almost kills someone through her obsessive internet controlling. Like, literally almost kills someone via internet. The internet is so poisonous in this movie. And look, I, I, I feel like I, it's, this is the sort of message that I would be amenable to at this point in my life. Because I do think that the internet can be toxic, can be dangerous. And I'm worried about how the internet is going to affect my daughter's life in 10, 15 years. And yet, Allison, I could not believe how, just again, how sour and miserable, because it's such a, you know, it's like, it, it, it just doesn't seem to understand the world. Again, it feels, and, and that whole framing story with the Voyager oh, uh, no. the satellite and, and Emma, Thompson, Emma Thompson's right? no. voiceover explaining the world. And oh, my God. So that was a very long winded way of saying, do not watch Men, Women and Children if you haven't seen it, even though it is streaming now on Amazon Prime. The other movie that I watched and did not enjoy so that I could enjoy the Flophouse podcast very briefly here is a film entitled Outcast. And this has nothing to do with the marvelous hip-hop group. This is a movie, I was going to say starring Nicolas Cage, but the sad fact is he's barely in it. It is a sort of like direct-to-video action movie where Nicolas Cage and Hayden Christensen are crusaders, like literally crusaders, who, for reasons I could not explain to you, both wind up actually in Asia um, after the Crusades. Uh, Nicolas Cage is like sort of sick of war and bloodshed, but winds up in the Far East. And Hayden Christensen is uh, addicted to opium. He's a he's a heroin junkie, and he becomes the protector of this young boy who is sort of the heir to a throne, and whose brother wants to kill him because he wants the throne. Oh, it was this, this is terrible too. And Nicolas Cage is kind of wonderfully weird, but the problem is he's in maybe ten minutes of this movie, and he's in like the first couple of scenes, and you're like, all right, this looks promising. His hair is insane. He's got this accent that's unplaceable, uh, you know, Britain by way of <laughs> I don't know Krypton or something, and then he disappears because suddenly the all of the action shifts to to Asia. I don't even know. I don't even know if they specify where in Asia it is. It's a very vague general movie. They don't even specify what year. Like the opening title card says, like the Middle East, twelfth century, and it's like, did they not have countries in the twelfth century? I don't know. So, yeah, he disappears for a long time. Then he comes back. He comes back having like lost an eye, and he's kind of. I think his his uh, character is known as the White Ghost. So I'm not going to say that the scenes with Nicolas Cage are are aren't are are, are terrible because there's there's some fun to be had there. It's just 
you know, when you sign up for a Nicolas Cage crusade movie and you get a Hayden Christensen crusade movie, yeah, that's a bait and switch of biblical proportions. That's no good. And Hayden Christensen is just, oh, he's, he's terrible. He's just such a, you know, he's the anti-Cage, right? Because Cage is so dynamic and charismatic and Hayden Christensen is just... You know, he's giving the Adam Sandler of uh, Crusade DTV performances where he just doesn't look like he wants to be there. He doesn't emote. He's, like, addicted to heroin, but he just seems kind of drowsy and bored. Not good. All right. That's Outcast. That was on Netflix. There's a lot of Nicolas Cage movies on Netflix. Finally, one more good movie was Election. And I hadn't seen it in a long time. It's available on Netflix. Alexander Payne's movie. And... From top to bottom, this movie uh, impressed me, like, a lot. Like, I didn't really remember it being this great, and it is uh, a fabulous, 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 fabulous. And I definitely didn't appreciate it as a 18-, 19-year-old when it first came out. I think you need to be a sour, middle-aged person to really appreciate <laughs> how beautiful and tragic its portrait of sort of middle-aged malaise is. You know, the casting of Matthew Broderick, the ultimate teenager, the ultimate free-spirited, wild-eyed, uh, hopeful, happy teenager as the ultimate depressed, miserable, um, trying to put a brave face but really just lying to himself high school teacher like that casting alone is so brilliant and the way that they introduce him in the movie um very deliberately i realized this time as sort of trying to play into that ferris bueller iconography you know um his character this high school teacher jim McAllister, introduced like um you see him in the shower uh, just like ferris um and then you see him in his classroom doing the ben stein anyone anyone routine now he's not doing a ben stein impression but he actually even says like anybody anyone uh, he, it's just very, very sharp the way that they're they're using him, I think, is great. And Reese Witherspoon as Tracy Flick. So fabulous in that role. Chris Klein is great, too. And there's just, um, you know, we talked uh, in our Bone Tomahawk review about the about direction and visually that movie being fine, but nothing special. Here's a movie that's not striking, not dynamic. But when you're paying attention, all of the, the the angles, the choices that Alexander Payne is making, there's a great scene where Jim McAllister, the Matthew Broderick character, has really screwed up his life. And he's making a phone call, which I can only call an act of stupidity and desperation. And the way the, the shot is framed, he is on the left of the frame, uh, standing at a payphone, which still existed back then, and there's like a wall he's up against. And then on the right of the frame, we can see into like the boys' room where the urinals are. And it's like he is pissing his life away. Like you just get that in that one image. And there's tons of examples like that where uh, Alexander Payne's doing some really smart stuff, telling stories visually, even while he's got this great script and this great dialogue and looking at all these characters. If you haven't seen Election in a while, it's uh, it's worth a revisit. If you've never seen it, um, it's a really, really good movie. I was sort of blown away by how, how well this movie holds up. That is Election, and it is streaming now on Netflix. It's got some of the greatest uses of voiceover that I can think of as well. I, I didn't mention that, but yes. But like and everyone... the fact that everyone gets a voiceover right. so that you can really see the world from each of these people's perspectives. As like the main character for a while of the yes. movie. They're and all they... kind of competing main characters. Yes. And they all, and you do get the sense that they all feel like they are the main character in their own story. And, you know, another director who doesn't use those voiceovers, I think you could argue, and maybe not incorrectly, that it's a movie that's kind of looking down at its characters, maybe having a little fun with them. The way that you can get inside these characters' mindsets and you can see the world through their eyes 
and there's such empathy there. It you never feel that he's having fun with their misery. It really is such a it's a sad movie, but it's such a warm movie too at the same time. Yeah. Oh, and one more thing, I will say that Jessica Campbell as Tammy, the speech she gives oh. uh, in uh, like for when she's running, running for, for president. president is like one of my favorite high school movie moments of all <laughs> time. It is so triumphantly like nihilistic. Yeah. So many, so many high school movies are about, you know, they're, they're for teenagers, right? This, this is a high school movie that is for adults. Like I was saying, like, I definitely did not appreciate this movie in 1999. I was just out of high school. I didn't get it. And watching it now, uh, I get it. I really get it more than I did then. And uh, I, I I, was so happy to revisit it. This was probably the, the, my favorite thing that I rewatched on my uh, paternity leave. So again, Election, uh, streaming right now on Netflix. So I'm going to be spending the next uh, forever um, holding a baby, sitting in my house, doing very little else, watching streaming movies and TV. But Allison is uh, getting ready to leave this week for an exciting film festival. The film festival is uh, Sundance. It's uh, How many times have you been to Sundance at this point? Many I, times. Yeah, quite a bit. Uh, I don't know. I think probably since 2007. You're a steely veteran at this point. Sure. You're a jaded, cynical veteran at this point. I know where... You the, are the Jim McAllister of Sundance. I know where the liquor store is, and I know which <laughs> ah, grocery you know store how to is use the it. best. <laughs> it's complicated in Utah. You have to go to the state-run liquor store. Is that true? That is true. All right, there you go. There's a good tip for any of our listeners who's going to yes. the festival. But, Hit me up. Yes. But you are going for... Uh, you'll be covering it for BuzzFeed. But um, we thought, because, you know... It's on the one hand, the Sundance Film Festival, especially talking about it in advance, is tough because all the movies sound great and then half of them are terrible. And also, it's also hard to judge in advance. Oh, yeah, impossible to judge. And also, as you're listening to this, you can't watch these movies. Right. But I think why it's good to talk about Sundance for us is that so many of these movies don't even come to theaters, really. These are the movies, though, that we'll be talking about because these are the movies that make up. VOD and Netflix, and these are the ones that wind up streaming even more than the big movies. Right. So to me, so. this is like really important for us is to talk about these movies because these this is the next year of our lives, basically. Yeah. You're getting the sneak preview right here. So you've got some titles to talk about here to look forward to. I do. I have five, five and a half titles, let's say. Five Two and a are half. combined. Um and uh, I, I'm going to give you some other like uh, previous previous movies from these filmmakers that are available for streaming. So oh. if you've got a Jones for like one of them, I'll let you know where you So that's what I'll be doing. Stuff. While you're watching their new movies, I'll be sitting quietly sobbing and watching their old movies at home. Uh, suck it up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Well, first up is the movie that I think is my most anticipated movie at the festival and a lot of people's. It is Manchester by the Sea. It is the new film from Kenneth Lonergan, mm. uh, the playwright and the filmmaker who made Margaret's and uh, you can count on me it's his first film since Margaret which was very troubled a kind of famously troubled if you paid attention to this tiny little film movie in which he had a lot of trouble getting a final cut and uh, there was some fighting over it but he's made a new movie uh, this one stars Casey Affleck as a brooding irritable loner per the Sundance description he's a handyman in Boston 
And then he gets a call summoning, summoning him home to the town of the title, which uh, where his brother has died and he's just been named guardian of his 16 year old nephew. Mm. And uh, it kind of this has echoes of both uh, Margaret yeah. and this teenager dealing with death. And then you can count on me in right. this kind of uh, character who has not been a parent having to contend with. It's like it, a Lonergan remix. It is. And it's got a cast that includes in addition to Casey Affleck, who, who's an actor I really like, Michelle Williams and Kyle Chandler and Gretchen Maul, among others. Gretchen so, Maul! Yes. She's you, back! You love Gretchen Maul. I do! <laughs> and I, you know, Lonergan is just such a great writer of movies and a great director, which is not always the case as we've, you know, per our main review, is not <laughs> yeah. always like something that comes sure. together. And I am looking forward to this movie so much. It's got such a good cast. The description sounds so great promising cast. to me. Um, Jodie Lee Leip's cinematography, too. Yes. I didn't. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page. Wow, this this is a this is definitely so this. I mean, an this exciting, is like exciting, title. exciting, exciting movie. And you know, I think one of the hot tickets for the film nerds at the festival. And it's also got a, a, a starry enough cast that I think it'll in general be a, one of the bigger premieres. Um, and if you want to see more Lonergan stuff, Margaret is available for rent in its regular and its extended edition. Matt, nice. I know you're much more of a fan of the regular. Edition. I like the regular edition. I like both, but you have to see the regular edition before you see the extended which is kind of patched it was was Lonergan's cut but it uses some footage that's not really of the same quality as Mm -hmm. I would say the rest of it um but it is a fantastic movie um and uh you can count on me is streaming for free on Tubi TV and there's actually a 92Y talk with Matthew Broderick and Kenneth Lonergan from 2009 that is free on Amazon Prime. Nice. So you can take a look at those now and Manchester by the Sea, I'm sure, will get acquired. I don't think it has distribution yet, but you know, that's what I am with that really cast. It, to. Yeah, it'll, you'll, it'll show up somewhere for sure. Yeah. Another film uh, that's a big title. And there are a lot of returning big directors at Sundance this year. I think that's one of the kind of ongoing kind of trends is Certain Women, the new film from Kelly Reichert, who is the director of Meek's Cutoff and Old Joy and Wendy and Lucy. Um, and it is about this handful of intersecting lives in Montana. Among them is a lawyer played by Laura Dern, who is trying to defuse a hostage situation. Uh, Jared Harris plays her disgruntled client, who uh, feels slighted by a workers' compensation settlement. Um, all these is per the Sundance site. Uh, Michelle Williams, again, uh, with James LeGros, plays a married couple. Um, and there's also Kristen Stewart in this movie and Lily Gladstone in these different stories. Uh, Kelly Riker, a, a great kind of, and I think always, as much as she's gotten critical acclaim, is like one of those filmmakers who you think should have a bigger reputation. Absolutely. And uh, I, I think that this cast is really exciting. And uh, she's a great filmer. She's a great filmmaker in terms of dealing with the the West and the idea of the West. And I think that the idea of this as a set in Montana is very exciting to me. And I, I, I just... I'm I'm excited to see what she does with a bigger story as this seems to be in terms of like the many characters it involves. You know, some of her other movies, most of her other movies have very been very small, intimate, concentrated. Small yeah. groups, characters, yep. So uh, a little sprawl, hopefully will be good for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to see some of her earlier films, Meek's Cutoff is on Hulu. And Night Moves, which actually I haven't seen. You uh, haven't seen Night Moves? Definitely not one of her strongest. Right. 
but her, her last film. That was her most recent film, and I yeah, that wasn't yeah. that wasn't as good as Meek's Cut Off. Meek's Cut Off would be an awesome double feature with Bone Tomahawk. Absolutely. actually. a depressing yes. one, but a good double but feature an with, one. with Bone uh, Well, Tomahawk. Night Moves is on Amazon Prime. That's okay. actually been on my viewing list for a while, so I should get to that yeah. before the festival. Um, but that's certain women, so keep an eye out for that. All right. And then the the one and a half movies is actually yes. just like a combination of two movies that are gonna like of course be grouped uh, the two movies are called christine and kate plays christine oh yes and they are two films about christine chubbuck who is the sarasota tv anchor who committed suicide on air in the 70s this is a real event a real that woman. happened yes and uh it became the inspiration for network the network kind of you know, right. ironically made the character a male and also <laughs> had him not commit suicide on the air in that right. first like famous speech um and so these two movies both look at chubbuck's life christine is a scripted film by antonio campos who uh, did after school and simon killer these i think very formally interesting very chilly movies so this sounds like the right topic for him rebecca hall plays chubbuck and uh, I, I think it just it seems to just kind of run through her life up until this moment um, Kate Plays Christine is a hybrid documentary of sorts from Robert Greene, who did the documentary Actress and Katie with an Eye. And it features Caitlin Scheel preparing to play Chubbuck for a film, <clears throat> ultimately for the film that she's in. It's not like she's preparing for a film that someone else is going to make. And it's it's all about her kind of researching this this woman and getting costuming done and kind of going around Florida and it's a movie that's about the acting process and about about Chubbuck and kind of trying to figure out who she is. But it's also about what we get from watching something like this and from trying to restage it and from kind of uh, investigating it. In that way, it feels like Kate Plays Christine is almost an inherent critique of Christine. I haven't seen Christine, uh, so I don't know like how, how that movie is going to work out, but the very premise of Kate Plays Christine feels like that. So I am intrigued by how these two will play together. They're both from ambitious, talented filmmakers, and I, I am in, I'm interested in that combination and why suddenly Christine Chubbuck <laughs> is having this year at Sundance. Yeah. Um, but if you're interested in either of those filmmakers, Robert Greene's Actress, which is a movie I like a lot. Very interesting movie. It is on Netflix. It's also a movie about acting and how that intersects with you as a person and your identity. Um, and Antonio Campos's Simon Killer is also on Netflix. Not, uh, I, I, I prefer After School uh, of his work, but it is still a... a a formally interesting, like very nicely shot movie. Okay. Uh, and quickly now, uh, of the other returning, like well-known filmmakers at Sundance, Todd Salons is going to be back with Wiener Dog, his sort of sequel to Welcome to the Dollhouse, uh, one that tells several stories about people whose lives are changed by a particular dashhound. Uh, who seems to be spreading comfort and joy. <laughs> but I don't believe that because this is a Todd Salons movie. But it's got uh, characters including a young boy, a vet tech named Don Wiener, who um, is, you know, the character from Welcome to the Dollhouse, in this case played as an adult by Greta Gerwig. 
This is a character he's killed off at the start of one of his other movies. Yeah, so I was going to say, sure. hasn't someone else played Dawn previously? I can't uh, Heather, I can't Heather Matarazzo, track. who is, you know, a grown-up actress now, right. uh, but played the original one. Uh, I, you know, uh, Salons has been experimenting a lot with also having different recasting, like yes, totally recasting he characters. Does. Um, and I don't know how the the Welcome to the Dollhouse universe uh, lines up, but <laughs> it's uh, I I always find him difficult and interesting as a filmmaker. It's and his first movie in a couple of years it, too. It is his last one. I, I think his last one is Dark, Dark Horse. Horse. It's on Hulu, okay. and I I loved Dark, Dark Horse, oh, so I, I, I would missed that one. Definitely send you to check that out. Uh, Wiener Dogs cast also includes. Uh, Kieran Culkin, Danny DeVito, and Ellen Burstyn. So it should be an interesting ride. All right. Is there um, one more? Was that one more? Yes. And uh, it kind of ties into your men, women, and children. Uh, <laughs> Not too closely, yes. I hope. No, but it is. It is the new movie from Werner Herzog, uh, and I. It's, I'm going to get the title wrong. Okay. It's Lo and Behold, Reveries of the Connected World. And how is that for a Werner Herzog style? That's uh, a title. very Herzogian title. But it is uh, about the internet. Uh, and apparently it's about how rarely do we step back and recognize its endless intricacies and unsettling omnipotence. God. <laughs> and he talks to a bunch of different people, interconnecting stories about online lives uh, and people from like internet pioneers to victims of wireless radiation and i you know i would just happily hear Werner herzog expound on the internet and all of its strangenesses it just sounds great to me check me out on snapchat <laughs> so i'm sure the whole movie will be just like that but you know if you if you if you want to check out more Werner herzog stuff uh he's got a lot of things on many streaming platforms i would call out in particular uh happy people cave of forgotten dreams and into the abyss are on netflix grizzly man is on amazon prime and is tremendous and burden of dreams which is not a Werner herzog doc but is about Werner herzog is on hulu all right that's uh gave us lots of good options sounds like there's some good movies at the festival this year hopefully you have a good time you stay warm you enjoy the uh, state-run liquor store i will drink some vitamin c drinks stay off the slopes I've don't go never, skiing that's a trap that's how people get hurt at sundance I've never ever gone skiing at sundance i've heard it's amazing because no one else is there yeah that sounds great stick to the the movies and the hot tubs that's my rule i'm done well we've got one movie to talk about or at least allison has one movie to talk about for singer and wilmore's blues i didn't get to see the new michael bay movie 13 hours colon the secret soldiers of benghazi they wouldn't let me in they wouldn't let me in either. I had to go as someone else's guest. They wouldn't let me in. I, I, maybe uh, maybe it was because I claimed that Michael Bay destroyed cinema forever with trans, the last Transformers movie. Maybe that had something to do with it. I, maybe. I just, it's funny. Maybe I said he defiled the corpse of cinema with Transformers Age of I just, Extinction. I, can't I don't know. I believe that Michael Bay would be that sensitive because maybe he people is. have said plenty of things about his movies. It's true. In the past. And yet, I could, they would not, I tried and tried and tried and I could not, uh, could not get a seat. Yes. Well, par the movie that paramount would did not want us to see yes it must be because it's so good i'm it's, guessing <laughs> there are some people who are making the claim that it is good well of course i just feel like it is a michael bay movie right you know including it's a slightly less bombastic than usual michael bay movie because it is about real people dying uh you know a few years ago but it still has like 
gratuitous abs. The only thing it's missing is like the kind of leering shot of a, a woman's, women's butts. Yes, yeah. because it's set in Libya. And there right. really are very not few. a lot. Of- <laughs> God, if he could have figured out a way to throw that in, that would have been amazing. Yeah. So, so there isn't that. There are like kind of very like admiring shots of the abs of its very quirky cast that you don't usually associate with abs, including John John Krasinski Krasinski and James Badge Dale. Yeah. As like two of these uh, contractors who are former military men who are have been contracted mercenaries. They're they're contracted for the the CIA. Right. So yeah, I like. They all come from backgrounds where they're like they kind of see this as a continuation of their military background. Gotcha. But yes, they're private. They're they're, getting, private. they're they're there to get paid. private soldiers. It's an extremely dangerous job that pays well, and they're all they all have families at home that they're right. trying to support. Yes, but yes, so it's got like their rippling abs. It's got um, largely faceless uh, attackers with no motivation, which in this case is particularly loaded because obviously, despite I think a lot of people saying that this is a movie that is not political. Because Hillary Clinton is never mentioned by name, things like that. Like, the idea that someone made a Benghazi movie seems inherently political. Sure. This has been the most, like, kind of partisan, like, talking point. You know, this real tragedy in which four people died has become, like, a partisan talking point. Very well known. So I I feel like there's something disingenuous about the repeated insistence that, no, they just wanted to make a movie about Benghazi in the middle of the presidential campaign. Uh, I will say it is not... It doesn't, I think, lean more towards uh, the kind of usual Michael Bay themes of patriotism and kind of like uh, pro-military and, you know, anti basically everyone who is not an action, an actiony man. Right. Uh, No more than usual. I just, those, I think Michael Bay kind of. It suits his beliefs. Exactly. His personal style and beliefs. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I think that. There is something weird about like the scene in which like a mortar shell comes down and it's like slow motion as like a character runs, and then like the picture of his uh, his wife and and child like flutters by in the wind after that. And I'm just like, Ooh. like what a kind of shameless thing to do <laughs> with like a real person's death. Yeah, like, yeah, you know? that's uh, that's weird. But. It's that's a, Michael it's, Bay. It's a Michael Bay movie. Now, uh, I haven't seen the movie, but can you confirm that there is a scene that's like a heartfelt family scene that involves like a drive-through, oh, like McDonald's a McDonald's drive-through? drive-through? Yes, it does. God, Michael Bay. He, he, like, sneakily, he is like the worst product placement director in the entire universe. But I, he's sort of also the best because no one has ever worn it as openly. Well, as that's he what is. I mean. Like, yes. he is so shameless about it. I just my favorite. And scene how do you? It's like how do you insert product placement into a, a Benghazi movie? And in a way, and he I found like a way. He found a way. Yeah. And there's, I think, some car product placement as well. Well, in sure. The middle of, well, of like course. scenes of them like like fleeing through the streets away from uh you know these these Libyan attackers. I don't know. And also, there's a part towards the end of the movie in which um the translator who has like been helping them, uh, who has played, I'm forgetting the actor's name, but, uh, from a separation, the, the lead actor, okay. that, I believe is the actor. And he is like le- going home. And one of the, the, the soldiers now that they're leaving is like, your country's got to figure this stuff out, man, basically. And you're like, that's really helpful. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Peace out. <laughs> we'll, we'll get right on that. Right. Um, so, so, you know, I, I think like, it's not a movie, a intensely controversial movie, but I think like uh, to, to kind of say, oh, it's, it's just, 
it's 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 it, you there's reject no the idea of, that it's apolitical yeah and that there's no kind of there's no reasoning behind it you know the uh, the timing of it I, uh, particularly since i think that what happened in benghazi and like all of these like very hotly debated um timelines and issues and like you know that it sort of makes it and this is this is based on the the a book that is based on the testimonials of these real contractors uh i mean it makes it not a very good very good material for an action movie you know like it is not innately action movie friendly right so it, it is it is a fascinating piece of cinema i don't know that I would ever call it a good one, but it's fascinating. Uh, that is 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi. You can see it in theaters. <laughs> you could, if one were so inclined. All right, let's get to Behind the Eight Ball now, where we wrap things up with some new releases on streaming, some listener recommendations that you guys have sent to us at our email address, svu at filmspottingsvu.com. And we also give you one random film from our My Lists on Netflix that we've chosen for each other at random by number. Allison, you want me to go first here? Yeah, why don't you go first? Since you were just uh, in Benghazi and I, I was, was enjoying uh, just hanging out here in Brooklyn. All right. All right. Well, give, uh, give me three new releases. All right. First up, the uh, wonderful movie based on, I think, the only cult television series left in existence that hasn't been revived on Netflix so far. It is Serenity, Joss Whedon's follow-up to his short-lived sci-fi series Firefly. Nathan Fillion stars as the captain of the titular spaceship. He's a smuggler who gets dragged back into an intergalactic war. And then I think at the end of the movie, doesn't he say as he's leaving to to the other characters, you got some work to do, man. You got to figure this (laughs) stuff out. Is that... I think that's the way, like... I'm paraphrasing. Every 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 war movie. Yeah, war and conflict (laughs) ends. Um, If you've never seen Firefly, uh, I'd say you probably want to watch that before you watch the movie. Um, Although you could enjoy the movie without watching the TV show first, but the good news is Firefly is also streaming on Netflix, so you could now have the entire experience in one crazy massive binge. So that's Serenity and also Firefly, both streaming on Netflix. Next up, I imagine pretty much all of our listeners have seen or at least heard of Sergio Leone's Man With No Name trilogy of spaghetti westerns. Less famous, though, is his 1971 film Duck, You Sucker, which is also known as A Fistful of Dynamite, um, which was the film that Sergio Leone made immediately after Once Upon a Time in the West. It stars Rod Steiger and James Coburn in a story set during the Mexican Revolution, which uh, both Steiger and Coburn become sort of accidentally involved in. And then at the end of the film, as they're walking away, they say, you got to figure this stuff out, man. Your country has a lot of work to do. Weird, weird theme that's going on on, on this it's episode here. we never noticed this before. I know. It is a little weird. It's, uh, it's, it's, the film is not up to the level of The Good and the Bad and the Ugly or Once Upon a Time in the West, but it is uh, a, a really good one. If you're a Sergio Leone fan and you haven't seen this one, it's worth checking out. That's Duck, You Sucker. That is available now on Amazon Prime. And finally, sort of a program note I thought was pretty cool. On January 23rd at noon Eastern, Shout Factory TV, the great and very free streaming website of the DVD and Blu-ray company Shout Factory, is hosting a live online streaming marathon of Super Sentai Zayu Ranger. This is the original Japanese action TV series that was pilfered to make the martial arts sequences in the TV show, the American TV show, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. So they would take the action and the, 
you know, the robots and stuff from this show and film American actors and splice them all together. That's how they got Power Rangers. But this is the original show that the action is from. So they're doing this like long, day-long marathon, streaming a ton of the episodes. The whole thing is hosted by a scholar of the franchise who's going to give you some context and history about its creation and reception. I'm not a big Power Rangers fan. I, I watched it, I guess, a little bit as a kid, but I just this is just the sort of weird, obsessive kind of event that I love. And I would be very curious to see the original show, which I've never watched. So this is the Super Sentai Zayu Ranger Marathon on Shout Factory TV. That's January 23rd, starting at noon Eastern. All right, two listener recommendations. Okay, our first one is from Dave in Reading, Connecticut. He says, Allison and Matt, I recently streamed the movie Coherence on Amazon and was both surprised and entertained. This 2014 movie is about eight friends who come together for a dinner party and start to act strangely as a comet passes close to the Earth. They soon realize that things are definitely not what they seem to be. This is an inventive premise with mind-bending twists and turns, and I recommend it. That's Coherence, streaming on Amazon from Dave in Reading, Connecticut. Have you seen Coherence, Allison? I have. I'm a big fan. I wasn't a huge fan of that one, but uh, people can check it out. It's on Amazon. <laughs> uh, our next recommendation comes from Rob in Georgia. Rob writes, I wanted to recommend the documentary The Resurrection of Jake the Snake, which is newly available to rent on iTunes. I was a big wrestling fan as a kid, and Jake the Snake Roberts was one of my favorites. His troubles with drugs and alcohol were famously chronicled in the wrestling doc Beyond the Mat. This documentary is about Jake trying to get his life back on track with the help of another wrestler, Diamond Dallas Page, who in recent years has also become a bit of a fitness guru. Uh, this movie is not a masterpiece, but I know you guys have mentioned wrestling on occasion on your podcast before, including this episode, The Condemned 2. <laughs> uh, so I thought it might be of interest to some of your listeners. If you are a fan of Jake the Snake and also of Razor Ramon, a.k.a. Scott Hall, who also appears in this film, I think you'll enjoy watching these guys fight back from the brink. It was definitely inspiring to watch. Thanks for the great show. That's from Rob in Georgia. That's The Resurrection of Jake the Snake, which is now available for rental on iTunes. All right, one from your my list. You gave me number eleven, and right now on my my list, my number eleven film is Major League, the original Major League, directed by David S. Ward and starring a, an all-star cast: Charlie Sheen, Tom Berenger, Corbin Burnson, Wesley Snipes, Rene Russo, Bob Uecker. Of course, it's the the great comedy about the Cleveland Indians and baseball and. Uh, I, I added it because, you know, as I've been watching a lot of stuff, you know, you have a lot of time on your hands with uh, with the baby, but it's not really the, t the sort of time that you would watch like, uh, I don't know, like Son of Saul. You know, it's not the kind of thing where you want something really dark or heavy or even something that you need to really focus on. There's, you know, you need stuff that you can sort of tune in and out and pause and Major League's a movie I've seen many times, but I added a bunch of sort of comedies that when you're sort of sitting up at five in the morning and you're like, what could I watch? Oh, I'll throw a major league on. That's the sort of thing. And I think, in fact, I watched half of it one night and I just, I haven't taken it off my list. I just left it on there. So yeah, that's a uh, major league, a movie I am a big fan of on Netflix. Allison, are yes. you ready with your three new releases? I am ready. All right, go ahead. Kick things off. Okay, first up is Goodnight Mommy, which is new on Amazon Prime. This is Veronica Franz and Severin Fiala's Austrian horror film about twin boys living in a country house with their mother, who's recently reco recovering from facial surgery and who they start to believe is an imposter. 
Uh, this is one of those. This is um, one of those movies that's gotten a lot of attention as kind of existing in that key intersection between horror and art house films. I will say I don't think that the kind of the ways in which the the final part of the film and the twist play out are as interesting as the ways in which it is shot, but it is really hauntingly, strikingly beautiful, and a lot of eeriness comes from just the ways in which it's framed and from its two leads in particular. Uh, so that is Good Night, Mommy. It is on Amazon Prime. New to Netflix is When Animals Dream, which is another film that falls into that category, that art house slash horror intersection. It's a Danish film that's gotten Let the Right One In and Ginger Snaps comparisons. I will say I think that's setting the bar a little high for what's a, a small movie. Uh, but it is about a teenager, played by Sonia Sewell, who is growing up in a remote fishing village where she lives with her father and her mother, who's wheelchair-bound and kind of unresponsive. Uh, and then she starts noticing patches of hair growing, like rashes that turn into patches of fur, and begins undergoing changes of a supernatural sort, and also starts to understand truths about the town and her mother and father that she never realized before. Uh, that's worth checking out. One Animal's Dream on Netflix. And finally, also new to Netflix, uh, and now with an Oscar nomination as of this past week, World of Tomorrow, the Don Hertzfeld animated short that was at Sundance last year. And that is just, I, you know, we're both big Don Hertzfeld fans. He is an independent animator who is famous for working with stick figures, has done a lot of his work traditionally by hand, uh, painstakingly. This is, a, this is his first one that uses digital uh, digital animation, but is also still stick figures and is still both funny and extremely dark and sad and involves a little girl voiced by his, I think, like four-year-old niece at the time, adorably, being visited by a clone of her future self who has traveled back in time to talk to her and tells her about her tremendously sad life in this dystopian world. None of which, none of the details of which this little girl understands. Um, and it's, it's like, I think 17 minutes and just about perfect. So definitely check that out. World of Tomorrow on Netflix. Okay. How about two listener recommendations? Uh, first up, we got one from Twitter. Owen Van Spall, who is at Admiral Owen on Twitter, wrote, Well, I'm in the UK and our Netflix is much poorer due to licensing issues, but I enjoyed The Overnighters, a doc from last year I personally found moving, worrying, and an illuminating look at a USA of increasingly unstable blue-collar transient work with a hell of a last five-minute revelation about central indivi the central individual, a priest whose, whose church is hosting people looking for work, um, and that is on Netflix in the U.S. as well and is a really fantastic... Outstanding movie. Yeah, it's a fantastic doc. It's one of those docs that you kind of wish had gotten an Oscar nomination last year just so that more people would have gotten attention to it yeah. because it's it's really just, like, wrenching. So thank you for that, Owen. Uh, I would second that. It's like an honest liar. It's just like they... they found a great story and actually had some similar twists, I yes. must say. And also, it's just one of those movies where you're like, the benefits of having time to ride your story out and yeah, see they where see it, it goes, through. Yeah, is, yeah, is really remarkable. Definitely recommended. So uh, yeah, we both recommend that as well. And I got, I got two great recommendations from Kabir. I'm going to read one of them. Um, recommends In the Basement on Netflix. 
Just imagine if Michael Haneke had a bastard child with Wes Anderson. And yes, it's about what people keep in their basements. However, this absurdist bliss of a documentary is all about the things we keep hidden from the world at large, emotionally and mentally. May it be kink, a compulsion, or an admiration of, better pa- of a better past. Simply the unfiltered emotion that we don't invite everyone to take a look at. A fair warning, as it's very graphic in some regards, um, director Ulrich Seidel is an acquired taste. And I would agree, he has an acquired taste. He's got a very particular sensibility, but he's also making very unique movies, and uh, that's one I have yet to watch. So I am adding it to my my list in the basement on Netflix. Okay, and one random film from your my list. I, aw, I've missed that. <laughs> Uh, you gave me number 17. It is Marvel's Jessica Jones, mm. a series. I'm about eight episodes into this Netflix's most recent superhero series. I stalled out more just because of busyness than because of lack of interest, though I do think it's it's more meandering in pace than I would like. It's, it's, I stalled out in part because I didn't feel a great urgency to boost mm-hmm. through to the end, but I love the character. And I love the bad guy, who is maybe my favorite bad Marvel bad guy yeah, ever. It's, it's a low bar, I'd say, other right. than Loki. But yeah, he's pretty awesome. And he's just so petty and monstrous on a small level. And mm. just so much more promising a villain than people, all these guys who are trying to destroy... <sighs> trying to destroy the universe and trying to destroy humanity. So uh, I, I feel like it really speaks to the benefits of smaller scale. I just feel like... Uh, Plotting wise, it has some issues. It, it oh, kind of that's that's Netflix TV shows for exactly. you. Exactly, uh, I do like it more than Daredevil, which yeah. I think we were both pretty underwhelmed by. And I expect to to finish it up someday. I just have kind of gotten distracted. Yeah, my my wife and I, uh, we, we we like started it separately. Like we're gonna watch this when we're home for paternity maternity leave. And then the problem was again, like that you it, it's we, we like we. You, you don't have time to watch or pay attention. Like, it's not the kind of thing you can keep pausing and starting and stopping. So we've we've only watched, like, three or four episodes, but um, we liked it a lot. I definitely liked it way better than, than Daredevil, for sure. And, yeah, everything you said, the main character is great. The acting is great. I like the guy who plays Luke Cage a lot, too. I do, too. He's I'm really looking great. forward to that's that. It's a really good character, series. too, as a comic book fan. Like, that's a great character, and they found a... They found a good cast to play these these really interesting characters. They're a little richer and more dynamic than some of your typical Marvel characters. Absolutely. All right. Let's get to our listeners' choice options for our next show. We've got uh, – you described our options for this episode as – what was it? New-ish? New-ish. Yeah, I think that's that pretty much sums up what we've got here. We've got two movies from 2014 and one very recent movie. Um, so we, one actually new one. Yeah. Uh, we also, we got a, you know, a few requests to do a David Bowie yeah. episode. And we also were thinking it might be good to do an Alan Rickman yeah. episode. And the, the unfortunate fact is that like, there are not very good selections available for streaming right, right. now. Like uh, to do an Alan Rickman episode where like the best movie you could come up with is bottle shock just seems like, uh, not really representative of what, of what made him a great actor. Yeah. And you know, like there are titles like truly madly deeply, uh, which is not available at all. It's not even available on DVD or you can't even rent it. Right. Right. And then something like Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, uh, is not currently available for streaming and feels like one we'd kind of have to include. So we thought about it. We really wanted it to happen one or the other, but we just couldn't make it happen. And we reviewed The Man Who Fell to Earth years ago on this show. I think we were looking it up. It was like SVU number four, one of the very first episodes. So if you want to hear that, you can go back and find that. But it just, we would have loved to do either of those. It would have been a good idea. But it's just, you know, this is the streaming film spotting. And unfortunately, 
uh, they just the, the options weren't there for either. Yeah, and I think you person. know it just speaks to uh, as much as it can feel like streaming is this world in which so much is available. There is a lot available, but there are huge gaps, huge, gaps, huge gaps. gaps where things are not even available for digital purchase. You know? Right. So that's right. Uh, it's it's. Don't get rid of your DVDs yet. That's right. Yes. Rest in peace, David Bowie and Alan Rickman. We wish we could uh, kind of give you a, an, an episode tribute, but it just yeah. it just didn't work out. So we picked from what is available right now some of the more intriguing titles that are recently added to the various services. I've got the first option here. It is the film The Voices, which is now streaming on Amazon Prime. This is the most recent film from one of my favorite filmmakers, Marjan Satrapi, who did Persepolis. And uh, this is, I'm going to read the plot description here. It says, a dark comedy about a likable guy, played by Ryan Reynolds, pursuing his office crush with the help of his evil talking pets. But things turn sinister uh, when she stands him up for a date. And in addition to Ryan Reynolds, you've also got Anna Kendrick, Gemma Arterton, and Jackie Weaver all on the cast of this one. Uh, it's a movie that I missed, and I'm very intrigued to see, because like I said, I do like Marjan Satrapi quite a bit. Um, Ryan Reynolds, not one of my favorite actors, but I don't know. I, I'm hoping we can get back to doing, you know, like a theme on our next episode. We'll see if I have the time and attention span to do that. I think if we did, Ryan Reynolds would be an interesting person to talk about. I agree. And the thing is, like, he, he was really good in Mississippi Grind, which is one of our options for this past one. Right. You know, I think Ben Mendelsohn really is such a great actor. He's a tough one to kind of keep up with, but yeah. it was a great What, what was hit. the one he was in? Buried? Am I thinking of the right movie? Buried, yeah, where he's in the... That's a tough movie to pull off, where he was buried for the entire movie. It's just him and a cell phone inside a, inside a little coffin, yeah. and that was a good movie. I don't think that he gets cast in the right kind of roles enough. Yeah. He's often in roles that I think are very wrong for him. Well, and it's, he's having a little moment here because of Deadpool. So maybe it would be a good time to talk about him. We'll see. So that's option number one, The Voices, streaming now on Amazon Prime. Okay, option number two is a movie that we mentioned on the last episode with uh, guest Amy Nicholson, who I think it was her favorite film of the year, Chirac, Spike Lee's divisive, provocative Amazon original movie. It is, I think, still maybe out in some theaters. It is also available for rent on Amazon right now, and I think purchase, but also it will be made available on Amazon Prime on February 4th as of Amazon's most recent announcement. So should you choose this like two days after the right. podcast comes out, it's You'd be able to watch to, it if you yeah. have Amazon Prime. Uh, but this is Spike Lee's adaptation of Lysistrata for a modern day setting uh, of Chicago in which he chooses to deal with uh, gun violence, particularly in the South side and amongst the black community uh, by through this character who is, um, who, who basically wages a sex strike uh, played by Tayana Harris Paris wages a sex strike against all of the, the men in, in at first in gangs and then larger, it goes bigger and uh, I, I, I think that this movie will be really good to talk about. Uh, there is no shortage of things to discuss in this one, uh, which I think certainly Spike Lee goes big, it goes home. A movie about gun violence based on La Estrada, mostly in verse with musical moments. I haven't seen it. So like my number one, it. like m most annoyed that i missed movie of 2015 just the timing with the the baby and everything i it was unfortunate that i missed it so i'm dying to catch up with it i know you weren't the biggest fan but i, I, but I wasn't but i imagine I we would have a lot say. to talk about absolutely yeah. and you know i could always do a spike lee podcast it's Ooh. 
that would be uh, that would be an intense podcast for right? sure. But it, he, it, this is the first movie he's made in a while that has gotten this kind of attention. That's so true. That's it's, true. It's a moment. Yeah. So that's uh, Chirac. It will be. Av- it is available right now for rent and purchase on Amazon, and will be available on Amazon Prime. Okay, and our last option is uh, a movie that is available right now on Netflix. It's called The Last Five Years, and this is another musical, actually, if we can call Chirac a musical. I think you probably could. The plot description here is a novelist and his actress wife recall the story of their relationship through music, starting from opposite points in time and getting in the middle. Uh, It stars Anna Kendrick and Jeremy Jordan. It's directed by Richard Legravenez, who's a, a good director and a good writer, too. He's written a lot of great movies, including Behind the Candelabra, The Fisher King, and The Ref. Um, the film started, I believe, as a stage musical and then was turned into this movie, it premiered at TIFF in 2014. Um, I, it's another one that, uh, you know, I've heard very good things about. Some people really like this movie, and it's just one that fell through the cracks for me that I missed. Have you seen it, Allison? I have not seen it. It's been one I've been meaning to. I feel like people were so divided on it. Yeah, like, it, There it are was... a lot of people who, who are like, I, uh, you know, I, I, I think have said like who, people who are big fans of the musical who mm. like had both very positive and very negative things to say about its adaptation. But right. I mean, it's got two leads I like so much, especially kind of in a musical setting. So the idea of that. Sounds very promising to me. Right. I imagine, again, there would be a lot to talk about for this one, whether we we liked it or not. So that is option number three, The Last Five Years. That is streaming now on Netflix. All right. Well, which of these movies should we review on the next episode of Filmspotting Streaming Video Unit? Uh, You can always send your vote to SVU at filmspottingsvu.com or enter in the poll on the right-hand side of the page at filmspottingsvu.com. And the cutoff for voting this time is Monday, January 25th, at noon uh and then after that we will announce the winner on twitter at our twitter account which is at film spotting svu and you'll have all that week to watch the film and then join us for our conversation on the next episode which will come out on tuesday february 2nd filmspottingsvu.com is also where you can find our show archive as well as a list of direct links to all the movies we discuss on the show the film spotting svu remix theme song is by vince vandal listen to more of vince's work at vincevandal.com We will be back in two weeks with more movie recommendations and the review you pick. But in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Allison Wilmore and at Matt Singer. And you can follow the show at FilmSpottingSVU. That is where we announce the winner of each show's listener's choice and where we constantly share lots more streaming suggestions, both from ourselves and from you guys, the SVU listeners. Don't forget to send us your recommendations either on Twitter or at our email address, SVU at FilmSpottingSVU.com. For FilmSpottingSVU, I'm Matt Singer. And I'm Allison Wilmore. Thanks for listening. 